Hey everyone, welcome back to Speaking to Stacy. Let me do my medical disclaimer to begin with. I have created this podcast and website, including any references, links, or other knowledge resources for informational purposes only. I do not provide any medical or professional advice on the website and podcast. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. If you take any action or inaction as a result of any of the content you consume on the website and podcast, this is based solely on your decision, and I cannot be held liable for any of the consequences of such action or inaction. Right, with that important information out of the way, let me introduce my guest. Hey everybody and welcome back to the show. On this week's episode of Speaking to Stacy, I sat down with Anton Taylor. I have to give a big shout out to Anton for sitting down with me when he did. He was sick and he also had a busy morning. He had to run off to do a photo shoot after we had our conversation. So huge thank you to Anton for carving out some time in his busy schedule to sit with me and hopefully he'll come back on the show sometime soon. Let me just sort of give a brief outline of of what we did today because we did bounce around quite a bit um, we spoke about knee injuries and sort of the impact of injuries on one's sporting career and one's life we also talked about how Anton ended up in sports broadcasting and how his background in the performing arts and his debating experience helped him pursue a career in board broadcasting we spoke about how young men need to be accountable and take responsibility for the things they do, whether those things were right or wrong. And we also spoke spoke about how sport is a great way to teach children how to deal with loss and failure. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we discussed various topics, and I think it would be silly for me to try and list them all here. So I hope you enjoy the show. So without further ado, here is Anton Taylor. All right, we are live. Anton, how's it going, man? Stacy, I am good, man. It is really, man, it is awesome to be on the show. And um, it's, a, it's a nice cold winter uh, morning in Cape Town. And um, yeah, just I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Good, man. Um, a little bit the opposite here, looking outside. Not, you can't really see. Sun is shining. I'm in South Korea, as some of my guests will, or some of my uh, audience will know. And today, I think it's about 23, 24 degrees, beautiful weather. Yeah, so looking forward to, to spring. It's, it's really nice here in spring, but summer, it's going to be a killer. Is, it, is the summer too hot or is it, um, is it just epic? Too, too humid. It's okay. just like the, the minute you walk outside, instant sweat. Um, yeah, it's really, it's basically like Durban, but... Okay time ramped up i would say it's worse than durban so for american listeners think about think florida it's basically like that kind of vibe okay very yeah. yeah you've yeah i think you've done you've had a few cape town winters in your life so i think you've deserved a nice <laughs> warm humid uh humid summer coming up yeah and the winters here it's very extreme so summers here it goes 40 sometimes plus and then oh. winters it can get as bad as like minus 15 Damn, okay. So, so that's a huge, that huge snow? swing. Yeah. Um, 
certain areas more so than others. So there's actually some parts of the country you can go skiing and then other parts of the country, not as much. So my town, Jonju, we'll get some snow, but nothing serious. Um, nothing that stops life from, from going on. You know, it's not like yeah. Canadian snow where, you know, it can shut down the city or something yeah. like that. I've never, I mean, I never saw, I've never seen snow in my life, actually. Really? So, I guess I've just never been, it's not like I was deprived, I guess, but I've just never been, my, um, you know, Stacey, I don't know if you remember, my dad's quite a big chap, and so, yes. um, you know, skiing holidays were never going to be our, um, <laughs> our point of destination, so, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I will see snow sometime, but, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You should... You should think about that, yeah, because I'm I've never gone skiing. I've I've been so, super keen to do it, but I've got knee problems. So mm. I've heard skiing and snowboarding is actually quite hard on your knees. So it's always been a bit suspect for me. And I've just well not just recovered, but I had a knee up last year in July to repair my ACL a second time. So I'm not sure if Nah yeah. Ment- it's mentally I've- mentally I'm not there. I've had three ACL replacements on the one knee, so um, I'm not stepping near a snow slope. Um, but also, Boo, yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your knee injury. I mean, those those ACL surgeries are are not nice. And the recovery yeah. is dark. And um, I found it some pretty tough times being immobile for so long. Yeah, especially I think both of us enjoy being active. Um, mm. So it takes away your bit of your independence and getting out there and doing the things you want to do. Yeah. Mm. About about your knees, I actually, I remember you having a knee brace on once, but how did you manage to do it three times? Oh, dude, I like, <clears throat> you know, and I think that's, it's also part of the reasons that I've been really motivated to be so active um, over the past, well, yeah, several years in that, in my 20s, I just was maimed by knee injuries, man. Like, um, I think if you play rugby at schoolboy level, you often can be get away with stuff. I think, like, having coached and commentated schoolboy rugby, <clears throat> the guy's bodies are almost like elastic. And then when yeah. you make the jump to senior rugby sometimes, um, that's when things get quite hectic. And, um, you know, I remember... Um, I mean, look, I was playing third team at UCT, but I was like the captain of the team and I was 80 kilograms or 85 or something. And I was the only player, the only forward who was under a hundred. So it becomes like a very big man sport. And especially mm-hmm. when you're coming up from school and you have to now play against, you know, some 35 year old guy. 38, 35 yards. They, they may not be fit, but they're, you know, 120 kgs or something. And, um, yeah. I tore my ACL and yeah, big collisions. And and then this is a good lesson. You know, I I was young and this is the hard lesson that you always want to try to go for the best um, specialist if you can, I think for any condition. 100%. 100%. And I went to a knee surgeon who wasn't the best. Um, mm. And this guy was, yeah, man, he was just a, a prick. <laughs> and um, <laughs> didn't, um, didn't really attend to me. He let he forgot that I was in hospital the next day. Um, what? So everyone else got checked out, and I, yeah, like um, I was just chilling there. And uh, then, like four months later, there like a bolt broke off in my knee that they 
Like, what? Yeah. So a little bit grim. And then, you know, after the knee wouldn't come, wouldn't recover. And I went to a very good knee surgeon and he was like, look, man, I'm sorry, but they, they messed up your, your operation. So I had to have a second op. Um, then finally got back to life recovering. Um, and then tore it again in rugby. That was just, that's, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, act of God or something. Was that the end Um, of your rugby career? Yeah, man. I remember I was, and I was playing good rugby at the time, you know, um, I think, and we had a great team. I think we were unbeaten, um, like just a really, and I, I remember breaking the news to the team. I was like crying, you know, um, and then knee had just got better. And then a drunk driver hit me with a car, um, Jesus. and me and snapped my ankle on the same bloody knee. Um, but uh, the same, same leg. So anyway, I, it has been a long road to getting back. Um, sorry I to would, interrupt you yeah. quickly. That drunk driving incident, when was, which year was that? How recent was that? Or how long ago Man. was that? I think that was maybe like 2012, 2013, I think. Okay. Okay. Jeez, actually, was, yeah. uh, quite a relief or a big bit of luck that it was just, I mean, obviously at the time it was a nightmare that, that your leg was stuffed, but at least it was just the leg. You know what I mean? At least it wasn't your life. Could have easily True. been worse. It, the car, I mean, it was a crazy situation. Um, it's in... So uh, there's a coastal town for those not from South Africa called Plet, which is, um, I don't know if you would call it, say, quite the Hamptons or something, but it's it's where people go on holiday. And, uh, you know, I went there and I was with my cousin and there was a, there's a club called uh, VIP, which is <laughs> a pretty grimy. And Stacey, you probably, we all went there yeah. in our time. And I said to my cousin, nothing good ever, ever comes from this place. Don't go there. Fast forward 4 a.m. Who's there but the older cousin, um, you know, <laughs> and I'm having a big, big party. And we left the club and the road was like full of people. And some dude, and he was wasted, from, w- was just tired of waiting for the crowd. So he drove into the crowd. Um, what? And like my two mates went over the car um, and I got sucked under it. And it actually... Like I had a tire mark over my waist and the, the, the car went over my, it seems to have like gone over my pelvis. Um, Jeez. and that's why I went to, and I was like, the, my ankle had stayed flat on the floor and then the force had snapped it. So oh. but graphic guys. No, it's good. But I was like, the details always good. <laughs> I was really wasted. So I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. And this guy, he was like a sort of like a thug who lived in Plet. So, mm, um, the you know, a taxi, yeah, a taxi driver took us to his house that morning because we were like, we're gonna find him. But at this point, it's like the sun's rising. You know, the hanger, the the alcohol's wearing off. My ankle is like throbbing, and we're like, okay, we're not gonna storm this guy's house. So <laughs> I went home, slept, went to the surgeon at like two a.m. No, not two two p.m. Rather. And he's like, dude, your your like leg snapped. Why are you why are you like why didn't you come in earlier? And um he was like, Look, man, you, you've got a like a time mark over your belt. You need to go to the bathroom to check that you're, you know, you can pee and that was that was terror. So luckily my groin, my you know, everything downstairs, um and okay. my spine were fine. 
And um, okay. it's just a snapped ankle and, and, you know, ankles heal a lot better than, than knees. So it's mm, uh, yeah. got a bolt in there, but it's good. Jeez, <laughs> so, that is a hectic story. I didn't realize that you that it happened to you. Yeah, man. And, and you know, it's even more hectic. This I, I f- filed a police report and didn't hear anything. And like three, four years later, this policeman from Plet had been following it up for four years. Um, and he called me up and he was like, look, I've got the guy. Um, and so we went to court. Um, but you know, unfortunately he was a local and, um, you know, nothing came of it, but he did, I did. And I'd have to drive up to play each time for the court case, but I was like, I'm going to do this just cause it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, but in the end, my witnesses, they were like, we're your witnesses. And I wasn't going to call my mates from Matua at that time overseas to come testify in, in Plet. Um, so the case got thrown out, but I like to believe that the, and it was very awkward. I'd have to like sit in the, in the courtroom with the dude who'd like driven over me. Um, and he was like trying to make mates with me. Um, so I like to was believe he, I did the fight. Yeah. Was he a, a, at least a, like remorseful? Or did you not really pick that up from him? Nah, he wasn't remorseful or, you know, Jeez. honestly, if the guy had said to me, man, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I was young, I'm not do this again. I messed up, yeah. You know, like, look, I mean, we all mess up, I think driving into a crowd of people's not, you know, like a little bit on the far end of messing up, but, um. You know, he was just like chilling there. He was with his like kind of thuggish mates. Um, and they try to like, I mean, he tried to like, he would greet me and I just, I find it very hard to be rude to people. <laughs> but um, no, he, and, and then he, I don't know, he was like a local and stuff. And then it just got like thrown out. So, okay. but anyway, good lesson in terms of, you know, the, my, my leg was broken. It got, you know, I had insurance. And if you hold on to that anger and stuff, it doesn't do you well, you know. So yeah. um, I haven't thought of any – well, no, no, no. I have thought of revenge stuff <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I'd be lying. But um, have, not yeah. seriously, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's one, t- one thing to contemplate and think it, another thing to actually go out and do it. Yeah, I know. It's all like kind of daydreams and then, then I always just go, brew like – you know, and I really do think that when people, you hang on to anger or you try, you know, and, you know, even when it comes to revenge and something, you know, it doesn't change what's happened. So, you know, even the court case, I wanted him to go to jail because I didn't want him to be out on the roads and hurt other people. I didn't really care what, like, you know, um, what had been done was done. Um, but I thought, you know, for the world to operate and for society to operate, you know, people need to be held accountable. Um, so that was my motivation. But uh, as far as me and that guy, he can just not, he won't get, um, if he sees me on TV, he has to live with the guilt of whatever it is he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that your point there about accountability is massive. You've yeah. got to be, you've got to be able to, to man up and take responsibility. Like, yeah. um, have you, have you heard of a, a chap called Jocko Willink? Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't got deep into him, but I have um, listened to quite a few things of his things. Okay, yeah. I've read his book. I've actually got his book uh, called Extreme Ownership, and that's yeah. literally what it's all about. It's just fronting up. When you stuff up, 
own it and people respect you for it and you you grow and you learn and you become a better version if you just always um sort of blame the world for your problems and or uh, always make excuses uh doesn't get you very far in the long run i don't think yeah i mean well old jocko is um you know i think his most famous speech is the making your bed um uh i saw there's a clip of him does it doing a speech and i mean that that is one of the reasons it took me a long time in my life to get my to like make my bed in the morning um yeah. but uh yeah you know and it's like if you using the example of this guy who hit me with the car like i can be as pissed off as i want about you know but like my legs was broken i have to do rehab and i have to you know uh live my life and enjoy it and um doesn't matter if I blame him, whatever, it's not going to change what has been happened, what has been done. Um, and it's more like, yeah, exactly. It's, I think also blaming other people disempowers you because until you're like, it's within my power to, you know, to improve my life. Um, you then, yeah, you feel like, yeah, you can't do it. And, um, yeah, man, it's, it's also just not nice to be just, I find as I get older, like hating people, like there are definitely some people I really don't like, but um, hate just that doesn't sit well, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think, like you say, I the think, ownership comes from like I can sort this out. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm same thing. As I'm getting older, I'm starting to believe things like sort of. It's I guess it's old school wisdom that is uh, that is transferable across the ages. So I, I honestly think that resentment is one of the most destructive forces out there. If you resent things, it can come out in very, very disturbing, dark ways. I think I often think, and then look, I'm not a specialist. I don't know. I don't even know if I'm talking the truth here, but I often think that people who commit heinous crimes, a lot of it can come from a place of resentment. And that's how it is. That's how it manifests in reality. Yeah. I, I see, you know, I'm, I, I see it within men. I'm not saying it doesn't happen within women. I'm just, I'm more tuned into um, yeah. guys. And yeah. I see a lot of guys as they get older. And um, when people stop following things that they're passionate about, um, I just see a lot of bitterness um, mm. and a lot of like, I could have, but it was this person's fault. Um which is why I always, if I see someone putting themselves out there or, you know, for example, it's so fantastic to be on this podcast um, because I really love seeing people like doing stuff that makes them happy. And I know that, you know, often that comes with a sense of vulnerability or a, a risk. But I just see so many dudes as they get older, getting resentful and pissed off and, you know, you people complaining about things a lot like, um, often people, you know, will complain about the government or things which they don't, they're not going to change. So that, you know, it's like, um, yeah. So I, I think it's sort of, it um, can spiral a little bit. And I, I, I definitely agree with you then. And I, and I do think also a lot of men, when they treat women badly, I think it often comes from some kind of resentment of having felt rejected in their life. Um, by woman and then like some really yeah. terrible things that like, you know, they behave in some awful ways. Yeah. hundred percent. And, um, I mean, I, in the last I'm trying to think now how many years, the last three years, 
maybe three and a half years, I've really taken a deep dive into Stoic philosophy. Mm. And that's all about sort of focus on what you can control um, because it's pointless worrying about things that you can't change. As you're talking, you know, if you can't impact change on something, you're spending so much of your energy on things that are actually sapping and draining you in a way that's it's taking away from from your positive your positive potential and and doing things mm. that actually as you said make, make you happy and i i also in a way i sometimes think in our culture maybe there's too much emphasis on happiness sometimes like i don't see happiness as the ultimate goal because happiness is so fleeting like you don't you, you don't we don't human beings we don't stay happy for very long periods of time yeah. um and from what i understand it's it makes sense from an evolutionary aspect because if you always content you then never strive for anything more so yeah. Yeah. happiness is fleeting because it's your it's the driver you want to get it again so you pursue something again yeah. to to get there um yeah and i think yeah i often i often wonder about that if if maybe it, as a society we've sold sort of a a bit of a lie to to young people and then when it doesn't work out then and i and i think you're right i i also see it more more in men it then it turns out that it comes out in horrible ways because there's a resentment to whoever it is that sold them sort of the bullshit story that they now realize is nonsense and like reality doesn't match up to that story yeah man i th- i think you're really right and i and i think um I mean, firstly, I, I find that stoic stuff amazing because those guys, yeah. you know, millennia ago were really on the money. And, yeah. you know, if you think about, say, um, you know, uh, weightlifting, you know, like weightlifting's hard, you know, and I, it, it's, it's, there's some lonely, tough times. And I think people, I don't know, maybe we've got a bit confused along the way in terms of what is happiness or versus yeah. contentment or, and I think um, sometimes one forgets that, like, discomfort, and I guess you need to learn, like, okay, if some if a relationship or something doesn't feel right, you, you know, to avoid that or, or, or to put boundaries up. But I think, like, one has to also realize that, like, you know, when you're waking up early to do something or, you know, whatever it is, it's, it is uncomfortable. Um, and then... Um, I think that that can perhaps in, yeah. And I, I know like a lot of people who I know who <laughs> are what we maybe say are successful in terms of, I mean, success is such a, a can really, I think be a very wide um, reaching um, word, but a lot of them have like, you know, they had to work hell of a hard and they had to slug it out. And it wasn't like um, necessarily the greatest thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Like I think we align on a lot of things there. So I think my dad's very much like that. He believes in hard work and he believes in uh putting yourself outside of your comfort zone. That's where you grow. Um yeah. I mean I just look if you look at natural learning, for example, you look at children, a child always well, I'm a teacher, so I, I always see with my English students um where the children learn the most is right at the edge of their capabilities. Mm. And that's where they also, where they're engaged and they're having the most fun is when it's not too easy 
it's but it's also it's not um it's not something that they're hundred percent comfortable with it's there's that slight bit of yeah. discomfort that pushes them forward and I think that's applicable to everything um yeah there's so much to learn through putting yourself through hard times and discomfort yeah absolutely i mean i I often think if I had kids you know like for some of the like some of the best people I know have had really hard times growing up, you know, and yeah. I wouldn't want to like deliberately put my kids through a difficult time, <laughs> but, you know, to try and find appropriate ways to, to show people like, and to teach kids like, you know, that sometimes things are tough, you know, and, um, you know, you have to go through them. And I think what I see with a lot of dudes is, you know, maybe when they're younger, and things are, you know, things can go like well, and they can be seen on a on a trajectory towards like a um, towards something, and then life happens, and they get a bit older, and they realize like, wow, things are tough, and life, you know, unpleasant things happen, or whatever it is, and then that's where I've sometimes seen where the bitterness comes in, and it's like, mm. oh, I could have been a pro, whatever sportsman, but the you know the peep the selectors or whatever um and that can sometimes i've seen lead to a bit of a, a spiral and um yeah. i think the some of the people i know men and women who've been successful are like you know they 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 accepted that like no there's going to be a lot of hard times and a lot of disappointments um yep. and you just have to press through them yeah yeah, prime example. I spoke to Natalie Detoy a couple of weeks ago, mm. and I mean, she was destined to be like a really unbelievable able-bodied, able-bodied swimmer. And because of the accident she had, I mean, she could have very easily called it a day. She could have been like, "Well, yeah. I've lost my leg. I can't get back into the pool. Game over." But yeah. um, I mean, obviously, people can go and listen to that conversation I had with her, and mm. she talks about you know, how for her, it was, that wasn't even an option. She just, she wanted to be back in the pool as soon as possible. I mean, it's just, and clearly she, she's an incredible woman, but I mean, clearly her hardship is much more intense than what what a lot of people have gone through. And I just think uh, maybe it's an individual thing. Maybe not everyone can do that, but I, I think that you need to be plugged in to the mindset of, accepting challenges and, and facing up to your discomforts and things like that to be able to achieve anything with, as you said, success, I guess. Um, whatever it is that you want, you're going mm. to have to go through some hard times. Um, and yeah. if Natalie can do, can do what she did through her hard times, those kind of stories are inspiring to so many people because of the level of intensity of what she went through. Yeah. If she can do it, then, I mean, I'm pretty sure mo- most of us can yeah, man. I mean, she's like at the the one of the you know far end of the spectrum of like, you know, she lost a leg. <laughs> she yeah. she was like, yeah, okay, cool. Well, let's you know let's get on with it and let's get back in the pool. I mean, that's yeah, that really is. Um, and it's so great that you that you interviewed her, man. Yeah, she was super super amazing person. So inspiring. Um, yeah, let's maybe move on to talking a bit about sports because I think yeah. you, you you touched on it briefly there about um, talking about resentment and those kinds of things. I often think sport is a great way um, to get kids 
into situations that are a bit uncomfortable because you met, you said you know you don't want to put yeah. your kids in 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 harm's way to try and let, have them learn lessons but i think sport is a great way to get kids to realize that actually when tough when tough times come it's a great place to actually learn and and grow and yeah. i think sport offers that in a huge way oh man i yeah i love yeah i love sport and you know the sports i've played in my life you, you talk about lessons i mean I, you know for example in sport you lose you know any any sport you do you know you you will have you will lose in your in your life <clears throat> and <clears throat> very often sports i feel like they can play out it's like the theater of life and it's it's so similar it's like you know teach kids yeah you do lose and you know somebody like me i'm i'm very competitive um and I dislike, you know, my last boxing match. I lost um, on a split decision. But y- you got to, like, maybe let it, like, it burns. But if you hate losing too much, you're just never going to put yourself out there, you know. And you need to then, I think it teaches kids, like, yeah, just because you have a loss doesn't mean that you give up, you know. Um, yeah, it doesn't mean that you're a I, failure either. Yeah, and it's, you know, ultimately the, the victory is stepping onto the field, stepping onto the, whatever, the court, uh, the ring, you know, and it's, uh, what I always say with boxing is, you know, guys get very worried about like, oh, I'm losing and I'm, and you know, and I say, okay, look, one guy gets his hand raised and one guy doesn't, or one woman doesn't, doesn't. Um, if you want to call the, the, you know, the guy whose hand doesn't get raised a loser, then what's the name of the person who's too scared to have even got in the ring in the first place, but wanted to, you know? And I think, um, you know, anything that involves a risk of rejection or failure or loss or whatever it is, is scary. And a lot of people protect themselves by not even entering, you know? So it's, it could be yep. a new passion, a new work. Um, and I, I think sport teaches you to like, you know, roll with the punches to, understand the ups and downs. I think team sports are really good for socializing kids. You know, you, you have to work on a team, you know? Um, yeah. You have to work together to accomplish, yeah. to accomplish a, a, a team objective. You can't do it alone. Yeah. If you can be, you can be the best rugby player in the world, but if you are selfish, you hog the ball, you don't pass anyone else, you, your team's not going to win that game. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've found like, you know, when I was working as a commentator, most of the people there were rugby had played, you know, team sports and many of them the highest levels. And how transferred is that people just like got on with each other. It doesn't mean that people had to be best friends, but I think from having been in teams, you know, you learn to also like maybe limit your more bratty side and you also learn to tolerate people from different, you know, who aren't quite like you. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, you played rugby. Um, and what I also liked about rugby was that, you know, there's some hard times there. You know, you get you get hurt by other teams and you're sharing that experience with other uh, people. Um, and I thought that was beautiful. And that's also like, you know, yeah, you you know, took putting kids in, I think, sport, I've often thought is an appropriate way to, to teach them about like appropriateness a way of saying like, you know, life's hard. Um, but you, you carry on going. Cause I'm pretty sure anyone who's played, I think, well, rugby, almost any sport we have to wake up, particularly in South Africa where we do our winter sports, 
in like, you know, we, we'd wake up and there's frost on the floor and you have to go get your fingers stood on by some big guy. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's not great. It's, it's, not, it's not always the, the glamorous videos that you see of like the first team oaks running out at 1230 in the yes. afternoon under the beautiful sun and throwing the pigskin around. It, it can be yeah. like, oh, I remember, was it under, yeah, under nine rugby? Oof. First under nine A side going out to places like Paul. And you're playing literally with frost on the field barefoot because the Afrikaans mm. schools don't wear rugby boots until a bit a bit later on. So yeah. you've you us as sort of more English speaking students, it's something we're completely unfamiliar with. You know, we practice with boots on, it's it's a vibe, and then geez, you gotta go run out there with barefoot. I think that actually maybe maybe that was under ten, because I think under nine everyone is barefoot. I think under nine, yeah, everyone is barefoot. Correct. But I think under ten, that. under ten, you put boots on, but the, the Afrikaans school stays don't. So it's rough. Bruce, I mean, that is a lesson in you know, you're nine years old and you're gonna go out there <laughs> and you're gonna go in the frost, and these oaks are about twice your size. Um yeah, man, I mean that's that's a great lesson. And like, yeah, you know, my love, life is is quite hard sometimes, but you you know. Get on the field and get on with it. <laughs> yeah, crack on, definitely. <laughs> um, maybe we can we can jump around a bit. Do mm. you mention your commentating there and stuff? I mean, I remember from school days you were always very big on the cultural side of things. So you did a lot of drama, you did a lot of speaking and debating and those kinds of things. And um, although I never read any of your writing, I heard you also enjoyed writing. So you were always very big on sort of the the creative side of things when it comes to the English language. Um, is that where, was that like your beginning platform of how you got into broadcasting? Is that, is that sort of where it all started for you at school or is that not, are those two things not intertwined at all? No, they're deeply intertwined. And I think, um, you know, I'm very grateful. Um, sure, man, like for my education, I think what was great about our school was that it had, um, you, you know, like you could do things like drama and public speaking and they weren't seen as like uncool. Um, you know, I think, you know, look, there's obviously pros and cons to every school and every place, but you know, one of the things about our school is that I think success was just like above all else. So it like, doesn't matter if you're doing music or the maths Olympiad or sport, like if you're doing the best, like you coming first in the country, whatever, it's like, that's awesome. And I think what was cool is that I, you know, I was decent at sports, enjoyed sport, but I also enjoyed these extramural things and I wasn't, you know, I was encouraged to do them. And I think, you know, it is remarkable the the focus on, on you know, the cultural side of things. And I think, you know, growing up, I felt quite like, yeah, like many, I came from a divorced family um, and, you know, like many kids, Things weren't always easy at home. And I think, you know, sometimes one doesn't feel that you can talk about those things at school. And I think I had a lot of, um, I wanted to show that I was good. And I think if I'd perhaps been in a different environment, I would have taken all that energy and I could have gone down a kind of a bad route or fallen in with a bad crowd. But at school, it was like, you know, into drama and public speaking. And I, you know, I remember 
when I went to high school, it was one of the first times, like, you know, in prep school, like I'd made A-team rugby and I won the cross country. But high school was one of the first times I actually started to, like, feel like I had something to offer about myself. You know, I remember before that feeling very, like, not unspecial, but unnoticed and unseen. And I remember when I started to, like, you know, enter these competitions and win, this feeling of, like, oh, my gosh, like, I've, you know, I've got something to offer. And I think, um, you know, the the extent to which we would, you know, could do public speaking or singing or whatever, you know, meant that by the time I'd left school, and I often meet this, like, with other guys, like, not many people have had that much experience in in those kind of things. And that absolutely led me on my on my way towards acting and broadcasting um and yeah my career and it was it was forged at school and if i'd been in a place where they didn't have such an emphasis on it like i yeah i don't know what would have happened yeah yeah i think everyone that i've spoken to that speaks well of of bishops mm. um, obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of people who speak ill of it um mm. And sometimes for, for valid reasons, sometimes I think out of jealousy. Mm. Uh, one thing that I definitely believe is that as a school, they've done a remarkable job at balancing academics, sports, and culture. And as you said, making it, making each of those uh, spheres, making them celebrated and making kids feel that if you're a musician you're and you're good at it, we will celebrate you and we will... Uh, we will appreciate mm. you, and yeah, you don't really. Well, I, I mean, it obviously did happen. There would have been guys who who mocked and and bullied and things like that. But m- most of my friends and things like that, when when a guy was doing well at academics, he wasn't really, uh, he wasn't made to feel like a nerd or anything like. That. Not in a negative way, anyway. You know, it was often just poking a bit of fun at times. But it, and I think that's. That's something that's truly amazing about the school is that, you know, as you said, if you can perform as an academic or as a sportsman or as a musician or as an actor, you have the platform to do it. And it's something that's welcomed. It's, it's a great, it's a great, um, it's something that, I, that when my dad often asks me, you know, like, well, what's the difference between bishops and let's say a very good public school? And I think it's those things that you don't see from the outside that is the difference. Yeah. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> you know, having been on the old boys committee for what, a decade, and then, yeah, um, having left, I think I saw it's like, look, unfortunately, some people, some people respond to that, and some people it's not for them. Um, mm. So I guess I've, I understand why people, there's a diversity in experiences. People sort of, some people love it, some people hate it. And I think I've, you know, over time, you know, really understood that you know, everyone has a, a different experience. But as you say, I think um, it's those, you know, those those things that one, that aren't quite obvious um, um, that really helps. And, um, yeah, look, I mean, yeah, once again, it works for some, it doesn't work for others, but there is a culture of, like, you know, one must succeed. Um, and I think that in my case, I mean, yeah, like I'm sure – we both, I'm sure everyone who went to school, you know, one can love the school, but they were, they, you know, there were some harsh times there. And, um, <laughs> you know, like it's, uh, we could all be quite hectic to one another. Um, yeah. 
but one of the things is that it's sort of like um also it's 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 very competitive um very and competitive, i'm yeah. like i'm like competitive stuff personally so it pushes the guys um very far yeah yeah i think that goes with anything though talking about the the sort of people that that don't fit in i guess that's that's a life lesson you're not always going to click into everything that you do and i guess yeah the unfortunate thing is some people are just not going to appreciate that environment um and i think maybe part of that is to do with how hectically competitive it is and i think if you're not if you don't like that kind of environment i know there, there were a lot of guys that that struggled with with, with school and and didn't see it the way that i saw it. i mean i loved it uh i got the opportunity and obviously massively appreciated that my dad could afford to send me to boarding school but when I went to boarding school is where I really fell in love with the school because it was my home. So yeah. um, maybe that's another reason why, why my experience was a bit different. I, I, think, I think there is something to be said. If you're living at school and you're spending a lot of your time there, it's going to, it's going to impact the way that you think about school. Either you're going yeah. to love it more or you're going to hate it more. Um, yeah. I guess hate's a strong word, but or you're going to dislike it more because you know you're either there and loving it, and so it escalates and and you get that positive feedback, or if you don't like it, it's like probably the worst the worst time of your life because now you're forced to stay there for extended periods of time. Yeah, yeah, but I'd imagine being living on school uh, makes on a campus makes you feel more like it's a home, makes you feel more like a sense of belonging. It probably helps, you know. Obviously, as you say, it can go the other way. Um, but if it goes in a positive way, you feel like, you know, you, you fit in more because this is your home. Certainly when I was at res at university, because I was, I was a day boy at school, but um, living on campus like really was a positive experience and really like created, as you say, a deeper sense of um, of love towards the, towards the place. Um, and, and one other thing I just want to quickly jump in um, say about school, I don't <laughs> go on too much but um one of the things i thought was amazing about our school and um malcolm gladwell talks about this it's kind of like um he refers to it as like um i think it's positive like entitlement is a, is a kind of idea i might not be describing it well but um and perhaps it is it's out of school negative entitlement as well but it's sort of like i remember growing up it's like kids were coming first in the country and first in the world for stuff quite often with you know academically sporting wise um amazing music um facilities and i think in my mind then it becomes not such a like oh yeah i can of course i can come first in the world like um not to not to blow my own uh, horn but like in my trick i won that this like the world schools public speaking competition i remember um, that yeah cyprus yeah and you know um the the head boy in my year he'd won it the year before and I remember thinking like, okay, well, Chris has, Chris has done it. Like it's, it's attainable. And I think that sometimes environments like that then, um, and it can be anywhere. It can be at a university or a workplace or a, you know, a sporting team where people are achieving quite remarkable things. You start to go, okay, why shouldn't it be me? Um, and yeah. I think that that can be a really positive, um, uh, Look, maybe, I don't know. Obviously, there's two sides to every coin, but I think it can yeah. be, you know, help people out a lot, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I think uh, maybe I'll get some of the facts here wrong, but I think it was Roger Bannister. 
he was the first person to run under was it forty four seconds for the four hundred meter four, four or something? Mile? The, sorry, the four minute mile. The four minute. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry, something like that. And before he'd done it, they said it was impossible. And mm. the day that he, after he did it, all of a sudden, all these runners started doing it. So, yeah. it, as you're saying, it, it's it, it. If someone is doing it before you, it opens up that window and say, mm. "Hold on a minute, it is possible." So I think you're right. Yeah. I think. Um, if you're exposed to that kind of success and those levels of success and it's tangible to you, it's quite easy to, to then picture yourself in that position as well. Yeah, man, I think that, and that's what I like. One of the things I like about the world today is that like, for example, a podcast like this allows different people to speak and show, you know, be open and, and other people can say, Oh wow, they're also just a person. And, um, I really think, and I've felt it before that often you think like these things in life, these success stories or these positions are reserved for other people. And like, I couldn't possibly, you know, I couldn't do it. And the more one, you know, people, you hear other people talk about the experiences, you realize like, you know, all these um, successful people, which sometimes can, they can sometimes seem a bit um, unapproachable or, you know, different. They Everyone's just people, you know, they they just, they had to try hard and they had to go through stuff and it makes, it makes one think, well, why not me as well, you know? Yeah. And I think also the internet is also on one hand, because of things like Instagram, you, you see like highlight reels. So often it's like, geez, yeah. well, that person's got a really like perfect life. My life's not as perfect. And then maybe mm. it can be a negative, but it also, with the long format things, uh, like podcasting and YouTube, you actually start to see inside of people's lives and you, you seem you can create almost like a personal connection with someone that you don't actually mm-hmm. know. And yeah. you start to realize that even the, the most successful of people, as you said, go through the hard times. And it's yeah. really refreshing, I think, for people to see that and then realize, hold on, this guy or this girl did it and they came up against some tough things and it's possible for me... To, to, to get out there and do it myself. And mm. it was a big thing for me with the podcast. Like uh, I, I said to you, um, when I initially approached you uh, a couple of months ago and I flew the idea by you and you were like, dude, you just do it. Like mm. you've put yourself out there, go for it. And my biggest, I've been wanting to do this for, for a couple of years now. And I was, and I've said to you before, you know, I, I was worried about what happens if it's not good. What happens if it's not perfect? What happens if people don't like it? And then I, I realized it, it's not for anyone else necessarily. Yeah. It's, it's for me to try and, and do something that I want to do. If other people in, enjoy it and come along for the ride, that's awesome as well. Like I would love mm-hmm. people to connect with it, relate to it. Um, but most importantly, it was for myself. And yeah. I know that, that can come across as selfish in a way, but I think, um, it was coming to terms with the fact that, you know, there can there, there's probably going to be some people who dislike it, and being able to be comfortable with that, like I'm I'm okay with that, you know, as long as I, I said to my sister, as long as people are courteous, as long as people are kind, or, um, you know, are respectful, I have no problem with disagreement, uh, with people mm. disliking things. Um, I just. I just I think it's uncalled for when people make it you know make personal attacks and slander people and stuff like that, which can happen online. I know that because of the distance oh, factor, God. people you know, people can can lose it a bit. But 
yeah, I mean, um, and that's why I think, again, it's important to to realize that it, I think everyone has those that same experience. You know, when people, you, that self-doubt, it's like, should I do it? Maybe I'm not good enough to do it. Mm. Maybe someone else is already doing it or someone can do it better than me. I think that's a hu- very human thing. And I also have learned that when that conversation starts in my head, I almost then know that's exactly what I should be doing because yeah. that voice in my head that's causing the self-doubt is is only doing it because it's important to me. If it wasn't yeah. saying that to me, it wouldn't be worthwhile and wouldn't be worth pursuing. Absolutely, man. It's like what you were saying earlier about the kids who learn on the edge of their comfort zone. You know, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of the, the best things in my life before there was there was a lot of anxiety man like and i think um you know often it's like i've you know i think everybody has like will people mock me will people make fun of me will people think i'm a loser and i just think you know yeah i'm gonna say a very only a low level very low level human will see somebody else doing something that makes them happy and then feel the urge to be critical you know like if someone, for example, doesn't like a podcast or if they don't like someone's TikTok or Instagram reels or whatever it is, to take the step to go and comment on it, I mean, it really shows, I honestly think that someone must be incredibly unhappy because the happier you are, the less you care what other people do. And my way of thinking is like, if something's not affecting me, why would I, you know, like, cool, you know, if someone doesn't like a, a podcast, cool. Like let that that podcast is not being forced into your radio. <laughs> you don't have to yeah. listen to it. And I think um, what I notice a lot is people. I think get threatened. Some people get threatened seeing people do things which are vulnerable and scary because they themselves are they lack that courage and that conviction. And so what they do is they try and um, bring the person down and. Um, you, you know, I think it's a very, it's a very base kind of thing that humans do. I think it's very common, and I think, um, I think anything that you ever do that's vulnerable and stuff is like one can expect it. I think it's a horrible thing. You know, I think about, you know, I got into acting by putting YouTube skits up, and I was young, man, and people would be incredibly mean. You know, they they would be they would be so cruel to someone just trying to, you know, do his best and they'd make you feel like you, you know, like you're like really like a loser and there's something wrong with you. And, oh, especially, you know, trying to be funny, you know, and those, those pricks drive beneath me on the way to work looking at posters and they hear me on the radio these days. So, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't, as arrogant as that sounds, like I'm so glad that I didn't listen to them as hard as it was. And I think that a lot of the times, Sometimes we are, and I still have that thought, like, you know, you still are sensitive to it. And some people don't put themselves out there. And then, but even worse, some people then get so bitter that they start becoming the people who criticize those who do try and those who do put themselves out there. Um, So whenever I see someone following something that they love, whether it's, you know, like, like Instagram, when I see people putting out reels and, and like skits and like, yeah, sometimes skits can be a bit cringe, or but I'm just always like, this is awesome, man. This is awesome yep. because you're doing something that makes you happy, 
and you're doing something that's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I guess a lot of that for me is comes with maturity. So mm-hmm. I found when I was younger, uh, without really realizing it, I I slipped into a bit of that myself, you know, being critical of people and things like that. And then as I as I matured mentally, I realized that it's, as you said, you know, that, that person is putting themselves out there. And yes, it might be cringe. And yes, it might not be something that you necessarily agree with. But then I, I, I got to a point where I turned around and looked at myself and, and said to myself, well, what have you done? You know, mm-hmm. have you ever made a video? Have you ever put yourself out there? Have you ever made yourself vulnerable in front of the, in, in the face of like, in a public space or something like that? And then, you know, you realize like, it's not the easiest thing to do. And mm. like, kudos to those people, whatever, like whatever content people are producing, I'm, I'm now at the point where I appreciate it. Like I, and, and, and what you said earlier, you know, if you don't like the podcast, why are you watching it and then commenting on it? Mm. It doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? If, if you really yeah. didn't like it, you, surely you would have watched the first five minutes and moved on and found something with value mm. to you and watched that instead or listened to that mm. instead. So, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. But, yeah, I guess there's a lot of that online. Um, yeah. But, again, it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay to know that it's going to be there, know that it's going to come your way, especially as the more successful you are, I think the more of it you'll get. Um, yeah, and it's man, it still hurts. Like I've yeah, like over the years, my my I've had the most like literally the the worst things that humans can say to each other. You know, um, having done YouTube videos, getting into like that led to broadcasting. Yo, people, you know, like um, people are incredibly you, cruel. Sorry to interrupt you, Anton. Did you was that was that coming from like comment sections and things like that? Or was it people like directly messaging you? No, no, no. Comment sections. I did, you know, it was more, because I think the problem is, this is the problem with social media. People say things to other people that they would never say in person. Um, Not only necessarily for the threat of like, I'm going to beat you up if you say that to me, but because they don't have to deal with the discomfort of, you know, if I saw you on a street and I said like, Stacey, you know what, man, I think you're a loser, you know. That that's if you're not a complete psycho, that's going to be unpleasant even for the person saying it, you know. Yeah, and they'll be like, Ugh. but when you say it online, the person sending it doesn't have to deal with any of the repercussions. But for the person receiving it, it still hurts just as much, you know. Yeah. So, um, I I think there's almost like a um, the closer you are to somebody, the more it hurts. So yes. Over the years, sometimes I'd see like people I knew saying stuff about me online and I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's really, you know, and, I, and, and one thing which people do is that sometimes people, you know, that's what the hardest stuff, like people that like were friends or something, they'll be like, yeah, bro, are you like, okay, because you try to do something different, which threatens them because they're, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, and they go like, oh, oh, are you all right? Like you're doing little skits or, oh, I see you doing poker, like, Yes, man. I, I, why would you? It's the best thing ever. So, I, I think, can imagine. Yeah. Sorry, sorry again, man. Um, I can imagine because recently you did that whole like, was it was it the the Anton the 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 guy that yes, sort of the, yes. the second person that took over your Instagram. So yes. you know, like, I looked at that as being like quite comedically funny, and I yes. I thought it was great. But I can imagine to some people, some people would watch that and be like, shit, 
is Anton having like a mental breakdown? Is he yes. like, is he okay? Um, you know, or yeah. uh, did, uh, did you get any, any comments about that at all? Or not really? No, I don't. And I'm always surprised by when you back yourself and you do something with your whole heart, people go with it. So, yeah. so sometimes when I do these quite ridiculous, I've done some pretty ridiculous things in my life. Um, and, you know, <laughs> November. People, like, yeah, November growing funny mustaches. And if you can hit it with 100% confidence, um, people tend, it's like, it's when you're a bit embarrassed about it that people then almost smell blood. It sounds really terrible, but, I, you know, I can't think of it and describe it a better way. But I also think over the years I have got to a point where some people might think I'm not like, I can accept constructive criticism, but I think, you know, that, I, and I ask for a lot of it. So I often say to people like that, I trust, you know, do you think this could be better or whatever, but you, you know, some random, and, and I think that is the hardest thing is that sometimes and I'm like people, I haven't had it recently, but like, Doing and I've been just putting stuff out creatively because I want to now. Um, I think I've taken try to take away like that fear of failure. And so, you know, before I'd got work acting and stuff and you know, was working broadcasting, yeah, I would do this because I was like, Oh, I hope I get picked up. I hope someone notices. Now now I'm doing it because it's like it's fun. And I think each time whether it's something creative, whether it's a podcast, a reel, anything, each time you're sharpening your tool. So maybe I put something out and it doesn't work, okay, and people don't, it doesn't get that many views. I And it's hard. It's like it is hard. I can't ego. claim that like it ego, doesn't. Yeah, yeah, the, the ego, ego does gets, get a bit bruised, yeah. But you go, okay, well, maybe people don't like this or maybe the, you know, this was – you know for example uh, you swear and you're like oh it seems actually people don't like swearing or what you know um and so i think um that certainly maybe not recently but in the past when i used to put up stuff people would be like are you okay bro um and um i think maybe because i get so hectic when people whenever someone's like are you okay i'm like I'm good. Are you, like, are you okay? Maybe you should stay in your lane and I'll be like, you know, cause last time I saw you, you know, <laughs> I think it's helped. I'm unhealthy looking, you know, I'm like, yeah. I don't quite have a six pack, but you know, I can tell people like, listen, bro, why don't you focus on yourself and um, your life before you start pointing at mine? Um, yeah. But I do get, I do sort of shut down those kind of conversations. Yeah. Okay. Good, man. Jeez, but the it's, conversation but it's is- and it happens. Yeah, and I can imagine doing a podcast like, I don't know, maybe I can say this, fuck anybody who says <laughs> anything <laughs> mean about it because it's like, this is, yeah, basically if you're a happy person, I, I really think you're not going to be saying mean things on uh, online about other people. So I think it just 100%. points to a lot of bitterness and unhappiness. Yeah, like I mean, I've found a direct correlation between my happiness and my activity online. If I yeah. if I spend a lot of time in, in social media spaces, I actually can tell I can I feel myself becoming more cynical, becoming more pessimistic, becoming ruder. It's hectic. Like I I didn't used to really be conscious of it, but I've read a few books um, and done a bit of research and the psychological effect of what podcasts are or not podcasts, what the internet is doing to people, and it's yeah. hectic. Um, and I don't think we quite know what the full consequences are going to be because we're still in the early stages of it. Hundred percent. And I think I, what you said earlier about 
you know, what I like about podcasts and longer form consumption is that I feel like maybe over the past decade, we've started to become a bit more aware of what social media does. But I think this little um, small bits of like going on social media for a bit and getting a little bit of dopamine, um, I think that's, I don't know if that necessarily enriches one. And I mean, I'm guilty of it. I really, I, I put my phone on flight mode often because otherwise I pick up my phone for 10 seconds and an hour has elapsed and it's, I don't have anything to show for it. And, and yeah. um, but I think things like a sense of community, I think getting information, hearing people's stories, as you say, getting to know people, I think that that is positive. I think um, whenever I've been like trolled, um, often if I go to the people's, like if I follow them a bit, they just go and they write mean things on, on a whole lot of people's stuff. So you feel like, oh my gosh, it's me. It's a personal attack, yeah. But often they're going around to, and, and I think it just speaks to being very, very unhappy. Um, but like, for example, the other day I, I did a video speaking closer and, um, you know, for, for anyone who's not from South Africa, like, um, closer is a, it's a South African language and it has, um, clicks in it. And it also has, you know, it's because it's not from Europe. It's, it can be quite tricky for English speakers to learn it, you know, something like French or even Afrikaans, which many, um, South Africans speak, which is, has Dutch origins is, is, yeah, maybe a bit easier because it follows the language rules, but Klaza, it's a tough language anyway. So I put up a video and I was speaking Klaza and like grammatically everything I was saying was correct, but I have an accent. And somebody like that I know um, that I'd worked with commented and they were like, you sound terrible. Oh my gosh. Um, so I messaged, I literally straight up immediately um, messaged her and I was like, what, what's up with that? Um and as always, because I, I often confront people and in real life when, when they've told me. And she's like, oh, it's a joke. It's a joke. And I just said, look, I th thought it was a bit unkind. Um, and I realized that, it, you know, it was her own stuff. But I won't lie, man. Like, it, it hurt, you know. It, it stung. Um, and for like almost like a day, it was kept on coming into my mind. Um, and so I would just say, like, to anybody who – like if, if stuff feels hurtful, that's like, that's okay. You're not like not cut out for something. You're a human. I think for me, yeah. obviously, and what's sad is you can get 10 great comments and one negative one. Um, yeah. And the, the negative one often overshadows it, but you just carry on yeah. going. The negative negativity bias. We are, mm. our brains are geared towards negative negativity more so than positivity which also then it makes sense from a survival point of view you know if you see a tree full of berries yay i can get something to eat if you see a lion and you don't respond accordingly you're dead so yeah. our brains are wired to to pick up on negativity as a survival mechanism so yeah i mean 100 makes makes sense when you when you're seeing that one negative comment and it overshadows everything else yeah geez we've already been speaking for an hour and i know you've got to go in what about 20 minutes so you know, we let's maybe we let's cut it to we can maybe make it ten past um, nine South African time. Okay. But yeah, time time <laughs> is flying, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think you know if if you wouldn't mind, I would love to actually to have you on again because I think you and I we're the kind of people we we've got so much to talk about and we've barely mm. we've scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah, man, it's been can so fun and like I I you know just uh, to apologize to I'm I'm filming something. Um, this morning that's why I, I, otherwise i would stay out for longer but 
um, I would, and I certainly we can chat for another half an hour, but yes. um, man, yeah, I, I, and I really like, I love this. It's, um, this is my vibe. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Maybe we can talk a bit about your boxing because you and I have a shared passion with boxing. I'm, I haven't boxed in a while because uh, it's just a time thing for me. I've got to choose, you know, I'm doing quite a lot at the moment. I've, I'm working full time. I'm trying to get this podcast off the ground. Um, I studied a personal trainer certificate last year and then I did my CFA level one in February of this year. So I've gotten to that point now where I've realized you can't do everything. You've got to choose, you, you've got to choose your battles. And I, you know, I haven't done a lot of boxing recently, but, um, I still absolutely love it. And maybe I can just from my side share a bit of a background of how I got into boxing and why I did boxing primarily as like a coping mechanism when I lost my mom. So, um, you know, obviously Anton would know about the story, but my mom died very suddenly, um, three years ago, just over three years ago, she had an asthma attack and my mom was a quite a heavy smoker when she was younger. She slowed down when she was older, but she never fully stopped. And I think she had lung problems related to that. But my mom was the kind of person that I think she was a bit scared to actually go to a specialist and, and get checkups and things like that, because if there was something in fact wrong, it would have then confirmed that something was going on and i think she was terrified to to be told that you know something serious is wrong with your health and so shame she did she avoided it and when she passed i i was obviously extremely sad and upset about it but also i found myself feeling angry um more so than than just pure grief and i think the anger came from you know like well why me you know, like what? What is what is it that what is it that my mom did that she deserved to go that way? And and at a young age, I think my mom was yeah fifty six years old, so very very young dead, in dead, modern yeah. in modern terms. So I felt you know a little bit angry. Well, not a little bit. I felt very angry. So I thought of different ways and how I could take the anger out. And and for me, sport has always been a great release and a and oh. sometimes admittedly a distraction to to escape reality a bit. Um. Because you know you get into that zone and you're focusing and you you your 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 mind is away from everything else, and so I chatted to you a bit. I think it was at the Virgin Active, mm-hmm. and I asked you know who, who are you boxing through? How did how did you get into it and all that stuff? And you referred me to to Coach Josh, um, who's someone actually I would love to get on the podcast. I must actually message him as well, and he, uh, I started learning from him just twice a week because at the time that's that's all I could. Uh, actually afford because it is quite pricey and um, absolutely life-changing completely completely like it gave me incredible incredible like humbled me 100% like I I mean I wasn't even boxing as other people I was doing some light sparring and things like that but on the first day I realized how incredibly technical and difficult boxing is like people people who've never boxed maybe I get the same feeling with bodybuilding as well like people look at it from the outside like oh that guy you know they're just punching each other you go in there and you do it it is firstly the concentration you've got someone in front of you who's trying to knock you out so Mm. you're having to think of ways to obviously counter and move and, and not get hit yourself and then you're trying to break down what they're doing and finding ways to put them down so i mean i always i think it's a very cliched thing to say but I think a lot of people look at it. It's like chess, 
but with obviously extreme consequences. Mm. Um, 3D chess, probably even a better way because it's so complex, so complicated. Um, yeah, so that's my journey and why I got into boxing. And I, and as I, as I said, I never boxed. I never got into box against other people. I think I would have loved to have done it, but I, I think I just felt like I needed something at the time. For me, it was more about getting through the anger and working through yeah. through the loss of my mom. And it really, really worked. I mean, I, I could feel the weight lift off my shoulders every time I was in the gym and pushing myself. And yeah, it was it's incredible for me. And yeah, maybe you can chat a bit about your yeah. experience because I think you've, well, you've gone a bit deeper than I have. Yeah, man, I just want to say it was so awesome when, you know, you and I chatted about boxing and then you took it up. You know, I think it's, it's, I see a lot of parallels with, with uh, competing and boxing or doing boxing and also with weightlifting and then, you know, competing in, in and I know you've competed. Um, and it's like, it's the kind of thing that people often talk about and they'll ask me, but to follow through, um, you know, is, is, is difficult, you know, and, um, you know, uh, you know, you were, yeah, you were d- disciplined and dedicated and, and, you know, um, very funny story is that, um, so I put up a clip from the gym, um, where I trained with coach Josh and he's got the same playlist, <laughs> dude, which he's been playing. They've been playing for like half a decade, I think. Um, and I literally, I can like, you know, when you, anybody who's had like a CD back in the time or a playlist, you, you know, song ends and you know, which one's coming on next. And if you hear that song outside of that environment, you get confused when it's not followed by the same song. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's a really, yeah. Um, and, um, yeah. So like, I think for me, you know, I think boxing, I really think whatever, I think it's great in whatever way one does it, you know, I think in, sometimes people think, oh, you know, uh, but if you're not fighting or like, you know, one can do that all the way in terms of like a professional world champion boxer could call a non like world champ a loser or then an amateur. Like, I think, I think anyone who does that is not really doing justice to the sport. And I think my experience has been, yeah, man, like it's very similar. It's been incredibly transformative. I think, you know, before I um, did boxing, I'd been in a lot of um, street fights. And most of the fights, I mean, it was always like guys for some reason would come cause trouble with me. But the fights would happen because I was kind of like nervous, you know, because I didn't know how to fight. So when the fight starts, you're like, okay, I need to get hectic to make sure that this guy doesn't beat me up. Um and I, then I'd always wanted to do a sort of some kind of martial art to make me feel more kind of grounded and calm. You know, I mean, look, obviously, if someone has a firearm or if, you know, like, it doesn't mean you can beat up anyone. But it what it does mean is that I, for me, it made me feel a lot calmer. And certainly it's a it's a sport that really entails a lot of like mastery and uh, emotional regulation, because if you get angry in a fight, and lose your temper, you're, you're going to lose, you know, because you will get hit in the face. And if you start then getting pissed off and swinging, you're going to exhaust yourself. So, you know, uh, recently having fought, uh, I've had three fights this year. Um, and the first one I hadn't fought for two years because of the lockdown. The feelings of anxiety and fear are, are almost intolerable. You know, like you, it, it's, it's so scary. 
and to find a way to push through them uh, or not even push through them, rather accept them, but to continue doing what you're doing is, is like unbelievable practice in, in emotional regulation. And I found that boxers, you know, I, I really think it's often entry-level people to martial arts who, who take what they've learned and then go beat up people. Like I, I hate mm. that. Um, yeah. You, you know, the more you do these sports, generally the calmer you become. Certainly, I, I haven't had any fights um, outside of a boxing ring. Um, and this has been like, you know, years and years. And I think what's great as well is, is someone like me, I mean, I don't, yeah, I guess I'd say, I mean, I've been diagnosed with ADD. Um, I don't know, or ADHD, I don't know, like, but something which is so engrossing, it takes your energy, um, you, you don't get bored and, yeah, man, it is like, um, it has given me so much joy. And I think, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, having been injured for so many years, um, being able to do a sport and boxing is quite easy on your knees. You know, they, you just, yeah. you know, there's not a big change of movements, which occur in most yeah. sports, even tennis, whatever. And I think, you know, I, I started it just as I'd stopped drinking. And I still remember the first boxing gym I went to, I, I was taking a month of drinking. And I had, I think, my last drink or I was like hung over and I like went to the boxing studio. I'd seen a sign and I was like sweating because I was, and the lady was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. And I signed up <laughs> and I think it kept, you know, and boxing saves a lot of people from, you know, I don't think I was, um, I don't, you know, an addict or anything like that, but um, you, you can't get wasted if you're going to be waking up and having to, the extent that you have to exercise is, is very extreme. And I think, um, as you say, humbling, also humbling, I think it's quite healthy for guys to sometimes yes. get a, a, a clap or as we say in South Africa, a hit because, you know, I think the most aggressive demographic are like young guys who've left school who have who've not been in a proper fight. Because once you get yeah. in a few fights, you realize that they're terrible and you want to avoid them. Um, yeah. And this year, what's been really great with the boxing was I actually made the decision, I'm sure like many people after the lockdown, like, you know, we've got one life, we've got to live it. And I'd had fights over the years, but they would sometimes clash with work. And I just said to my coach, come send me in. And um, it has really, man, it's, yeah, it's brought me a lot of joy and a lot of meaning. And it, it holds my life together um, because it's also... You know, I'm, I won't lie. Like pe people are like, "Oh, aren't you? Isn't life boring now that you don't drink?" And I'm like, "Dude, like, I'm climbing in a ring in an industrial area in a warehouse with some dude who's going to try and knock me out." Like, nah, like life's it's pretty exciting. <laughs> pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting that you mentioned the whole fear thing there. I watched a clip. I'm trying to think where it was. Oh, I actually remember. There's a guy called Patrick Bet David. He has a channel on YouTube called Valuetainment. Um, mm -hmm. very, I think three point something million followers, very, very big platform. And he started a podcast maybe, I want to say two or three years ago. And he had GSP on there, oh, um, the MMA man. fighter. Yeah. And, and I was super, super surprised, but he said that when he was fighting, he couldn't really relate to people, to other fighters. And he said, he doesn't know if people were lying to him because of the ego, but he found that he was terrified every time he had mm. to fight. And I mean, this is a guy who is one of the best. So, mm. I mean, I, I just found that super fascinating that even at that level, he, as good as he was, he just, he said like he was scared because of, of the consequences. 
He wasn't mm. scared to to be in a fight with somebody. He was just scared mm. of knowing that this could be the end. Like you know, it's mm. it's 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 one of the consequences of fighting is it, you know you could get a head trauma. It could you could mm. be brain damaged. You know, and he, he said like he he was very very scared of those kinds of things. Is is that something you've ever thought or worried about in terms of your your head, or do you think you 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 won't yeah. do it long enough for it to be a problem. Look, I think um, I mean the one thing is I've I've realised the more I do boxing that everybody if you're a um, if you're a human being with a normal emotional um, anything like a normal emotional setup you will feel scared unless you're maybe like some kind of you, you know like look I can sometimes even get to the point of looking forward to things but. You know, like for example, I've emceed a million things. You still, I still get nervous before I'm on stage, um, and I think the, you know, the for me, um, a lot of it is like you, you know, guys get like, oh, what's if I were to get knocked out and you get humiliated or something. In terms of head injuries, you know, I think when I started, um, and I was actually, you know, I, I was quite, I, I was just quite anxious at that time, quite anxious, and I, my mind would almost fix onto things. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, am I going to get, like, um, you know, uh, CTE? And this is a big thing within the, you know, there was a documentary concussion. And, and then, I mean, I was doing light boxing, barely any sparring, and I'd start to be like, oh, am I forgetting stuff? And, and you know, there was, a, there was absolutely no way that, you know, I wasn't taking any knocks to the head. I think, you know, like, and I, I, I look, I went and I spoke to a, a neurologist and I spoke to a doctor. I think... You know, the, the scary thing, I suppose, of boxing is that one doesn't know. They say, you know, it can be yep. one one head trauma. It seems like a lot of it is more consistent, you know, over the years when people are sparring hard. I think, you know, in life, everything has risks. Um, I think, you know, people would say to me sometimes like, oh, why are you boxing? It could be bad for you. And I'm like, bro, when I used to party for 10 days in a row, um, you know, and, and really not look after myself. Everyone didn't know one had a problem. Um, and, you know, when I see someone smoking, that's, I don't go up to them and that's say. It's so, such a weird society thing, eh? Like the how acceptable that is versus getting into a ring. Yeah. And it's like my body weight has dropped. Like I've lost 15 kilograms. My, you know, my resting heart rate's dropped like 15, 20 beats. Wow. I'm, wow. I'm like running. I, I feel the best I've felt like, you know, People who have known me for years know there's been like physical transformation. I feel like the most important thing is I feel happy. I feel fulfilled. I, you know, boxing teaches you discipline. And I think recently having fights, it it really takes you to a level of training because once again, you feel scared. So you're not going to sit at home eating burgers. Um, and I think what I've realized physically is like, I don't necessarily – the for vanity to be ripped i don't know if i can do that anymore but like if there's maybe a competitive thing you know or, or if you know there's a guy who's going to punch you if you don't make weight who's going to be a weight category heavier you know it does drive you and i think my what i like to believe and it seems that in boxing there's like a threshold where you know you just get too many knocks to the head and and you know things can be quite tricky then afterwards i think um, having done like, you know, look, I've, I do amateur boxing, which is very different to professional boxing. Um, and I also li like, you know, it seems like some of the stories like of pro boxers, it, um, 
where things didn't go well in terms of getting some brain damage or whatever. It's like guys pushed through, you know, you, you, you know, mm. you might be having concussions, you might be having headaches, but then, um, you know, you're offered a couple million dollars to have a fight. And, you know, if you put all your eggs in the basket with boxing, you don't necessarily want to say, no, um, I'm not. So, so look, man, I, I did initially worry about it a lot. Um, but, uh, I also think, you know, if you, uh, if you listen to your body, if you perhaps get out, um, it seems also that guys can, they start to get punch drunk. And I think if you mm. carry on and you, you can see their, like the, their legs start to go. Um, I think if you, yeah. Um, and of course, of course it is something that, that is scary, but, um, you know, my, the, our coach, Josh, he's had 350 fights, you know, and, um, cognitively he's great. He's, but, but what people don't recognize is like, you know, Josh, our coach, he was an orphan from a very tough area in Cape Town called Lavender Hill. Um, could be, you know, one of the more, I don't want, you know, I don't think anyone from Lavender Hill would mind me saying it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, one of the tougher areas that you'll find perhaps in the world even. Um, yeah. And, you know, he, he became like, he got into the military. He became, you know, like South African champion kickboxer. He fought for like a world title, two world titles. He was a professional high level boxer and his whole life has, has really been a success story. And I think it comes from the fundamentals of boxing. So, so sometimes one forgets the, you know, Tyson Fury, um, you know, he, he, you know, he could have been depressed and drinking were it not for boxing. So, look, I, you know, people, but people get so angry when you talk. When because truth is, I feel the sharpest I've ever felt. And if I consider how hard I used to damage myself partying, I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is a walk in the park. Yeah, geez, we, yeah, we, I'm definitely gonna have to have you back on because there's so much stuff we can even go into and unpack there. Um, just a an anecdotal story I, i'll never forget we my dad is a lawyer so he's mm. an advocate now but um when he was practicing as a lawyer he was a criminal attorney so mm. he only dealt with with crime and if you're a south african you know crime in south africa is not ideal there's a lot of violent crime so unfortunately he had to represent a lot of a lot of violent criminals and things like that so one evening i i don't have a great recollection, recollection of the story because I was quite young and I don't, I don't even remember whether I was in the car or not. Um, my memory seems to want to say that I was there, but I'll double check with my dad. I'm not sure if I was. So if, if I w wasn't there, I do apologize. Like I'm, I'm not trying to lie here, but we went for, he would often get these calls in the middle of the night um, to do urgent bail applications and things like that. Cause you don't want to like sit overnight in a holding cell yeah. in, in, one of the rougher areas because shit can happen. Um, you know, you can get killed, you can get raped. It's quite hectic. Mm -hmm. So he got a phone call one evening and we had to go, I think it was, we either had to go into Lavender Hill to a police station nearby oh, wow. or we had to go through Lavender Hill to get to the police station. And um, literally, I just, from what I remember, I mean, I must have been five or six years old. I remember my dad warning me to like, to stay down and as we were driving through lavender hill we heard like three or four gunshots um not nearby not nearby but like that's the kind of kind of i mean you said it's a bit tough part of town that's the kind, no. like, just to give people a sense of, of what you're yeah. talking about i mean that's that's the kind of area it is so you know 
then going back to Josh and his story, you're right. You know, without boxing, I think you, what 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 might have happened is maybe you get dragged into that lifestyle of gangsterism yeah. and crime and things like that. So, yeah. What so what is the what is the alternative? Yes, maybe you could get brain damaged, but then also maybe you could become like a violent criminal. So, yeah, man. It's I mean, like one of the great tragedies of South Africa is in our you know the down the road in places like Lavender Hill, the gun violence is like, I mean, it, like catastrophic, the amount of people that are killed in crossfires. And, um, you know, Josh himself has said, you know, like a lot of his mates are, are dead or in jail. And, you know, a lighter, uh, well, a, a less extreme version is like, before I started boxing, you know, I was like, I was very overweight. Um, I was partying hell of a hard, which, you know, like, Alcohol is, damages the brain. You know, I'm not. I'm not knocking yeah. it. I, I I love drinking, and everything we do can have some risk. But you know, um, and I've never heard a boxer really ever say, "I wish things had been different." You know, um, I think it gives one a lot of joy. Um, and I do like to believe with um, that with doing amateur boxing, they put a lot of like they look after the boxers. You know, you. Um, you get hit six times, eight times. They say, okay, cool. Stop. Let's have a standing eight count. Anyway, it seems to be a subject that, that people get very emotional about who don't mm-hmm. box. They get very angry and they say, no, no, no. But I think ultimately all these things come back to if something in life makes you happy and it's not hurting other people, you know, I'm not sure why people would get involved. And unfortunately people do, whether it's a diet or a lifestyle or a sports choice, people are always telling others what they can't do. And I'm always like, look, man, if something makes you happy, you know. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Okay, But, cool. man, I want to – we could talk uh, – man, we could talk a lot about this. I hope I can come back yeah. on sometime. No, definitely. Um, I, like, I think yeah. I think um, you and I, we have a lot – obviously, very different experiences, but I think we also have a lot in common. So, I think the difficulty is actually na- narrowing – things to talk about yeah. down and focus on a couple of things we, we could talk at length about so many different things so definitely would love to have you back um and, and then and you got to tell me about your competing i want to know more about like we've spoken about your bodybuilding stuff yes but what i'll quickly just say is you know with boxing everyone likes to be the guy in the boxing bag making loud noises not many people want to get in the ring um in the warehouse and fight it's the same yes. with weightlifting everyone likes to be the biggest oak in the gym and make fun of the you know the skinny guy but not many people want to take that step to actually you know compete and i have such respect for bodybuilders and and that's also a case of like you know why do i care what people like is it stressful to the body i don't know but it makes people feel happy you know and we'll talk next time maybe about ronnie coleman um you know he's like look he just says he wouldn't change a thing and he's happy um, yeah. not to, to advocate any lifestyle, but, um, yeah, man, I'd love to hear about your journey in, in that, that realm, you know, cause that's yeah. something I really have a lot of respect for. Yeah. I think I would love to do that. Um, especially with someone like you who, who I think you'll, we'll be able to go in depth about it. And mm. the reason why I want to talk about it is because there's so much positive that I can speak about the sport, but mm. there's also a dark side to it, which I'd mm. love to share with, with the listeners and um and i think the reason why i would want to do it is because i think informed consent is mm. a very powerful thing and i think people need to understand what they're getting themselves into 
Yeah. Uh, I think I often get very, well, not anxious. I often feel a little bit of concern when I see especially younger guys in the gym and I can see that they are using uh, drugs to enhance performance mm. and things like that. And now look, very quickly, just I don't want to obviously go in because I could talk about this for hours, but the reality is if you are competing in a bodybuilding federation that is either non-tested, so some federations they do not test, or some federations it's basically explicit that you can use performance-enhancing drugs, Yeah, um, uh, they will never advocate for it, obviously, because of the liability risk that that puts them at. Yeah. But the reality is to compete and to win and to do well in those situations, you need to be using drugs. And the problem is, is that, yeah, just when it comes to the younger generation, I get very concerned and I see like an 18-year-old guy who's not even put his body through the, the natural, uh, hasn't even pushed his body to his natural potential, natural ceiling yet, mm-hmm. and he's now already in, trying to enhance himself and maybe doesn't really know exactly what he's doing. Where is he getting the stuff from? Is the stuff safe and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I would love to, t- to chat to you about that and get into the yeah, to detail about all those kinds of things. That chat, yeah. yeah, epic. All right, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna end it, and then I'll just I'll just um, I just want to quickly chat to you offline. Sure. That well, thank you to you, and then before I jump off, thanks to all the listeners. If uh, if you're still listening, man, thanks. And um, you know, uh, it was a Stacy's known him for a long time. It's been an absolute pleasure being on, and um, I hope to come back on. And if you know you guys would like us to talk about anything specific as well, please um, please let us know. Yeah, and Anton, before you before I, I end it, I know you're quite big on you have quite a good presence online. Would, don't you want to just share with people if they want to find you anywhere? Like, what what is your Insta handle and those kinds of things? Would you, do you want to share that or? Yeah, man, um, that would be fantastic. You know, over the years, I've struggled. Like, yeah, I used to be big on Facebook, then YouTube, um, and I'm like sort of watching as these different like giants go fight against each other. I haven't got TikTok yet. So I'd say I'm most active on Instagram. So it's at I am Anton Taylor. Um, uh, you type in Anton Taylor and then or at I am Anton Taylor. Uh, you'll see me there. And um, yeah, that's where I do most of my stuff um, at the moment. And um, I am on Twitter, Anton Taylor, but I don't really use it. So, so Instagram would okay. be the best place to get me. Okay, perfect. Ex- excellent. All right. Thanks so much, Anton. I just want to quickly chat to you and then I'll let you go. Thanks, man. Just a huge final thank you to Anton for coming on the show today and a massive thank you to the listeners for staying with us for an hour and a half. I always appreciate you giving up your time. I can't believe I've already recorded, edited and submitted five episodes. It's gone so quickly and this journey has been incredible. I've had so much love and support from my community. I really can't thank you guys enough. And um, one final big ask If you could just keep on liking, sharing, subscribing, it would be really awesome to help me grow the show. I can't wait for you to hear some of the exciting content that I've got coming in the near future. All right, that's all from me. Have a good day. Cheers. Oh, and most importantly, stay lean.